Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series, episode by episode. It's episode 208, Dev. Can you believe it? (laughs) Entitled Time Bomb, written by Alexander Wu and directed by John Dahl. Now, our players sort of face off this week as conflict comes to a head, but it's none other than a 2,000-year-old predator pleading to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. Plus, we share perhaps a little too much information about vampire regeneration. <laughs> and then it's off to the races with the marvelous Michael McMillan. His shrewd Yay. performance as Reverend Steve Newland is equal parts totally hilarious <laughs> and also thought-provoking. Yeah. You'll know him from all over your TV set. Shows like What I Like About You, Hot in Cleveland, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He also writes comic books and has two exceedingly entertaining podcasts. He is a never-ending font of creativity, and I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. But first, this week on True Blood. And we're back in the church basement where Godric easily snaps the neck of Sookie's assailant. Eric appears and Godric orders him and Sookie to leave the compound without any more bloodshed. Unfortunately, they are outnumbered and it is now Eric who becomes Steve Newland's sacrificial vamp. Brothers and sisters, there will be a holy bonfire at dawn. <laughs> Luckily, Godric and a whole army of vamps show up just in time to turn the tables, including Jason, who, after being shot twice by Sarah with a paintball, has reconsidered his loyalty to the Newlands. In the hotel, Lorena is momentarily distracted by Barry the Bellboy's intoxicating blood, and Bill finally gets the jump on her with a 52-inch plasma TV to the head. Everyone says they're so thin and light, but let me tell you, when wielded properly, it's quite a weapon. He heads off to join the battle at the Fellowship, but not before barging in on Hoyt and Jess mid-coitus. He orders them back to Bontemp, where hormones raging, they go for it again, only to discover Jessica's vampire healing has created a bit of a barrier. Bontemp remains Mary Anvil, as Sam is booked for the murder of Daphne, and Tara and Eggs go all WWE on each other after Marianne cooks them a mystery meat souffle. Wow, damn! What is in there? Is that the rabbit you call? Among other things. Mm. But no one is eating at the light of day church, not even the vamps, as Godric pleads with all for a peaceful resolution. Steve Newland refuses, but his mob senses defeat, and amazingly, the conflict ends without further death. Later, the vampire set is celebrating their victory at Shea Godric, yet the man of the hour remains uneasy. Godric continues to lament the violent tendencies of vampires while showing mercy to traitors like Hugo. Lorena makes an appearance, stirring up trouble with Sookie, and Godric has Bill escort his maker out. Just then, a mysterious visitor enters the room, his vest wrapped in silver and stakes and a bushel of C4. My name is Luke McDonald. I'm a member of the Fellowship of the Sun. And I have a message for you all. I'm Reverend Steve Newland. And he presses the detonator. So, 
Kristen, this one's exciting for me. It feels like mm-hmm. everyone is squaring off in this episode, like mm-hmm. like boxers. They're in like their separate corners, mm-hmm. kind of sizing each other up. Yep. So yeah, I think you know we can start with like the macro <laughs> of fights, which right. feels like Steve versus Godric, which is practically an ideological right. fight. Well, it's so funny because Godric is the one fighting for peace and love your brother, which is Jesus's whole thing, right? Right. So Steve is right. like. Jesus will protect me. And then Godric says, I'm older than your Jesus. I wish I could have known yes. him, but I missed it. Yeah, but I missed it, you know, mm-hmm. but it's love this idea of like radical acts of peace, yeah. right? Like, like world challenging acts of peace. And there yeah. are so few people in the world that are capable of that. You know, I think of Gandhi, you know, I mm-hmm. think of Martin Luther King, you know, these people yeah. who do incredible things that change our world. Yeah. The Dalai Lama. Yeah. And, you know, so here we have Godric trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And he's in a position of power. Yeah. Which makes that easier for him to do. But, you know, but he's surrounded by people with high emotions and a lot of violence in them. Mm -hmm. It's a really fascinating scene to see to see him try and wrangle that. It is. And, you know, it is funny because we say he's in a position of power. So it is easier when you're not, you know, when you have choice. But yet mm-hmm. we that people in power, we never see exercise it. So absolute mm. power corrupts absolutely, right? It's it's right. we never see that. When people can, they don't seem yes. to choose that high road. And it and we see as evolution, it took them two thousand years or more to get yes. there. But it really mm. does take courage for all of us to forgive people we think have wronged us or have wronged mm. us. It's hard. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and and we'll be talking with Michael later today. And, and you know, Michael brought up this idea that while within genre, we are talking about things from the real world, mm. vampires are not a one-to-one correlation, right? Right, like, right. You know, vampires do some pretty terrifying things. And in yeah. fact, I think Godric puts it really well. Let's be honest. We are frightening. After thousands of years, we haven't devolved. We've only grown more brutal. More predatory. I don't see the danger in treating humans as equals. The Fellowship of the Sun arose because we never did so. Ugh. Yeah. Alexander I mean, he's just I mean, yeah. Nailed it. Alex really knows how to... <laughs> how to pull apart an idea and show you all of its flaws and also, you know, virtues. It's really incredible. But I mean, you have this huge scene in this church. It took them three days to shoot it. They were outside of town in a a small place called Whittier. In fact, I think we heard they made t-shirts. The the girls are prettier and Whittier or something (laughs) like that because they were all stuck there for a week. But it's this incredible, I mean, that set to start with. I mean, that it's not a set, you know, it's an actual incredible church who probably had no idea yeah who clearly didn't watch the show there yeah we have michael in this amazing white suit (laughs) with the green paintball splotch on his forehead oh my gosh i love him so much we all love him love him so much and he still manages to ground it right like he's doing this whole scene in this ridiculous suit with this ridiculous green splotch on his forehead yes and yet when stan comes in and says we killed your parents and he blood-curdling yells, murderers, and my heart breaks a little bit for him. I know. Knowing that he was going to kill all of them, you know, as well, that he has it in him, too. So it it is so complex. It's so complex. It really, life is lived in the gray areas, right? It's not black and white. And I think this show, these writers, these directors, and then the cast, really, wow, incredible how that all came together. Yeah. When I, I want to give a shout out to Valerie Cruz as well yeah. here. She's the actress who's playing Isabel. Yeah. And again, it's a really lovely, very not cliched take on a vampire, right? She's very not cliched. Feels very human yep. and emotionally connected. And in, in any ways, like the most evolved vamp. She feels more evolved to me than Godric in some ways because yeah. she still is allowing herself to like live in this present moment. But yes. what she deals with, with what happened with Hugo and admitting that mm. she still loves him even yes. after what he's done. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I know that scene. 
It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. She's so good. Yeah, she's spectacular. I'll also mention as the aside, uh, those three days in Whittier is where Alexander Skarsgård and Michael McMillan became best friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> Spending all that time together because they had not met before. But yeah, they're they're pretty a pretty good team off off screen as well. Totally. Three days in a scene in a room with either one of them, you just want to know them forever. <laughs> yes, I, I, for sure. I experienced it with both of them. So then the other pair up we have here is Eric and Bill. Yes. So we get back to Godric's and there's this party going on and I'm watching the whole thing and they're fighting over Sookie. And it's just like, it's like watching them fan their peacock feathers and just try to claim her for their own. Totally. It does make you think of like dogs in a park. You know, oh my God, right? It's really sort of ridiculous. But I do enjoy Eric seems to get a lot of enjoyment out of the fact that he fully knows how much power he has over Bill. I know. I like how I mean, it helps that he's just a great actor, but also he's really tall. So yeah. there's kind of a looming over people yeah. where he just says stuff and then observes them. Alex in the commentary said that Eric enjoys watching people's reactions to his presence. Yes. I think that's really clear. And there are moments in the episode where they've also helped orchestrate the the background actors and people mm-hmm. around him. Like at some point he walks into where Godric is and everyone just leaves. You know, he does. Right. He just has to nod his head. And so that can help a lot for yeah. an actor when yeah. a director and everyone kind of gets on board to help mm-hmm. sell mm-hmm. the power that you carry. Yes. You know, that that tells us a lot about a character. Yeah, because it is interesting how Godric and Eric and so many have commented, you know, the director commented in the commentary about how Godric shows his power. He's a little guy, mm. but mm-hmm. he shows his power by being so still and mm-hmm. underspoken. Mm-hmm. And Alex slash Eric are really good at that, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's interesting, you know, I think also for Suki. This whole experience, because she hates Eric, right? Everything yeah. he is, and you know, but she's starting to see kind of the softer side of Sears here, and he's he's showing her his vulnerable side towards Godric, towards her. He has this interesting line I really love, actually. He's your maker, isn't he? Don't use words you don't understand. You have a lot of love for him. Don't use words I don't understand. Yeah, and there's <laughs> he's a trying moment. to hide it. Yeah, he's trying yeah. to hide it. He's trying to hide it. And it's such a brilliant line with what's coming up, right? His complete yes. vulnerability with Godric's leaving. And, you know, as we come into that, so it's again, another thing Suki is going to witness that goes a long way towards sort of turning her mind around about him. Yeah. And Stephen, who is a director and mm-hmm. has always been an actor that thinks like a director, which is why he became a director, <laughs> he comments in the commentary about this moment where Eric and Suki get close together, yeah. you know, proximity wise, inches apart is the first kind of moment that mm-hmm. leads to what we had, what we see coming up, you know, in this yeah. year and then future years. Yeah. I mean, you know, physicality, of course, is a, a great actor tool that helps mm. tell a story to everyone else, but also puts you, you know, it, proximity to another person can change how you feel in the moment. It can just yeah. affect your chemistry, you know, your mm-hmm. biology, literally. And it can be a very effective tool to sort of bring out feelings. Yeah. And the viewer's um, feeling it because the camera's in close, yeah. right? Yeah. But the boys are not the only ones facing off yeah. <laughs> over Sookie. We have Lorena and Sookie in their corners duking it out over Bill. Yeah. And again, Sookie doesn't watch the show because she completely... <laughs> Attack, like, is like, thinks she can, like, fight Lorena. Super provokes Lorena. Now, Lorena <laughs> sort of started it, too. Yeah. But, yeah, she's, Suki is just full of uh, spitfire. Totally. She's like scene. a chihuahua taken on a German shepherd. <laughs> Amazing. And I, I, I want to talk a little about the, the costumes in this, because we yeah. have Suki in this white coat, which I, I don't totally follow the logic of why she's in it. Right. But it's great, because in contrast with Lorena's, like, bright red dress. I mean, they really look like sports uniforms. Like they look mm-hmm. like, who are you rooting for? Oh, the red team, you know, like. Right, right. <laughs> That's so thing. funny. It's really, really striking. 
And then they do these two shots of Lorena that I'm, I want to give credit to our, you know, the cinematographer for this episode and also John Dahl. When Lorena first enters, she's in the far background behind Sookie and they have this spotlight on her. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone fades in that room except mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. It's really great storytelling, I feel. Yes. And then I noticed when Lorena and Bill have left the party mm-hmm. and Bill's in the foreground facing out and Lorena steps up behind him and she's crying. And to me, it looked just like the shot when they're outside of Bill's house back in the 1860s and he's saying goodbye to his family. Only now she's the one crying. Oh, that's a good, good callback, Deb. Good memory. I mean, whether it was intentional or not, it just, because we're watching it in succession, I really saw that parallel Yeah, and the shift in their power in some ways. Yeah. Ooh, that's another really good Bill Lorena, amazing, heartbreaking (laughs) scene. It really When really will is. we see each and other it, again? Never. Yeah, never. When she oh. asked this line earlier, I, it's, it's from, we'll start with Bill's. Is this your maker? She released me years ago. She no longer has any hold over me. Oh, I wouldn't say that. We had two marvelous nights in your hotel room. What? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think Lorena really does know him. Mm-hmm. better than he gives her credit for. Mm-hmm. She knows the history, right? Yeah. Suki knows yeah. the guy that she met today, which in yeah. all fairness, I guess is true for all of us when we meet someone. Should we really yep. be still the idiot I was when I was 16, you know? Yeah. But she has seen the full arc. Yeah. You know, Bill, as far as we know, has not shared this history with right? her. He has vaguely said that he's done some bad things, but... You know, I don't think her imagination is really catching up to reality. Yeah, the flashback. Lor- Lorena right, knows. Right, where they're having, like, they killed the people and then having sex, rip the necklace off. Blood. That, right, that Lorena is wearing yeah. in that moment. I don't think Sookie's imagining that. I don't <laughs> When I, he says he's done bad yeah, things. That, that might be a quote-unquote boner killer, you know? Yeah, just might. What is not a boner killer, however, surprisingly... Is this insane fight with Tara and Ed? So insane, crazy. I mean, I, this, what? This is a this is a WTF kind of moment on this show, yeah. and I think John Dahl shared that he and Alex both had a moment where like, is this too far? Have right. we crossed our true blood line yet? And they went for it, and it is a genuinely sort of uncomfortable scene. It is. It's uncomfortable and perfect. For, <laughs> yes. Right. So it's it's bizarre. And that thing, yeah. that might be a theme we should keep up. Yes. Is, have we gone too far? Too because far. we were continually, when I'd get the script, when I was in a wardrobe uh, fitting where where Audrey would be adding bigger earrings, is have we crossed the line? And have we yet? Ha, have do, we yet? Or do we just keep pushing that line? Are we a keep pushing further, it? You know? And will we know when we cross it? You know, because we're living in this world, right? Right. And if you cross it, can you come back? Probably. I don't know. You know? I don't, yes. We but never really knew. This moment that it can creep you out and be funny and be hard to watch mm. and be kind of brilliant mm. is actually the 100% commitment from every single person involved That's in it. that scene. That's it. You right? could not like, do it 80%. You not had a com- one of them holds back. Yes. And that is why we as audience members ride along. <laughs> Right, because in a way, the acceptance of the actors and the the characters in that moment mm-hmm. invite you to kind of go, all right, I'm going to step into this uncomfortable zone and see how I feel about it. And it, and it really, I think, exposes the danger of marriage. Yes, and her back there and relishing <clears throat> really sells it. Boy. Right, because they are under the influence. And the fact that after he hits her the first time, we all go... <gasps> And oh then my how God. Routina, Tara is like, yeah, she laughs and goes, do it again. Yeah. Oh, and it's it, and crazy. It into this, this very complex feeling that they have. But to also offer a, a tidbite to use Kristen's. Huh. See, <laughs> I knew it catch on. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. said that that pie was mostly apples and sort of those kinds of thicker fruits and that they used a lot of sort of red food coloring and stuff. It was very important. They wanted to keep it that bright red blood 
color. And so, you know, something to know about Alexander Wu, the writer of this episode, is that he's a he's a gourmand. He loves good food. Yeah. He can always tell you where the best restaurant is. And yeah. so this, this cooking scene was very important to him. And on that note, now for a quick bite of Hunter's Souffle. Well, howdy, y'all. Welcome to our humble kitchen. We're going to be rustling up some real good eats for you today. So first of all, you'll need to gather all your veggies, carrots, celery, onions, potatoes, all peeled and dust, and your spices, salt, pepper, garlic powder, rosemary, and thyme, all to taste. Then you're going to want to brown all that up in a hot skillet with a heap of melted butter. This is the South, after all. Then hit it with a splash of cognac. We won't tell. Mmm, does that sound good already? Well, hold that thought, because we still need the meat. Now, you can use rabbit, sure, among other things. Venison is traditional, and beef or minced lamb would give it a European flair. But we recommend the heart of a shape-shifting zealot. It is the tenderest. Shapeshifter is optional. If that's not available in your area, you can use a regular old human heart. Now, you listen to me and you stir that all up till it's browned and cooked through. Then you add your Worcestershire and stock. Let it boil till it's nice and thick. If you lose the deep red color, just throw in a little ketchup. We don't stand on ceremony here. Finally, fill an unbaked pastry crust with the blood red mixture and be sure to cut some slits on the top for venting. We don't want no soggy bottoms now, you hear? <laughs> no, we don't. Then you bake it until the crust is nice and brown. It is face-smacking good. <laughs> Whoops-a-doodle. I think you meant to say lip-smacking. What'd I say? Face smacking. Well, silly old me. <laughs> so this week I thought it might be fun and horrifying to talk about vampire regeneration. Yeah. Specifically my own, hmm. which we'll get to in a little while here. But, you know, I, I thought we might start with, like, remembering what we know about vampires and their anatomy right. and how their body and healing works. So, you know, we had learned in the first season, Bill shares with Sookie, that vampires have no heartbeat, no brain mm-hmm. waves, no electrical mm-hmm. impulses. They don't mm-hmm. have to breathe to live, but of course they still do in order to speak or even out of habit. Mm-hmm. We've also learned that their bodies remain identical to how they were turned forever. Yeah. So Eddie, the vampire, talks about how he can't lose or gain any weight. However, it does seem that hair grows, comes and goes. Lorena has a lot mm-hmm. of different lengths. Um, we sometimes see five o'clock shadow on Bill, depending on, you know, what he's been up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, you know, so a lot of these things as a series goes, right? We have to do stuff. Yes, <laughs> Right. We just have to do stuff to make the story work yes. and getting rid of Alex's wig, Eric's was wig. was of utmost priority. <laughs> it was of utmost priority. And I think Alex mentioned, he meant he did say in the commentary yeah. that, you know, wigs itch. Yeah, they're and not comfortable necessarily. And it's one no. thing to ask an actor in a movie to wear a wig, mm-hmm. you know, every day for, three, for months, three months or, or to keep their hair exactly the same for three months. You know, that's, you know, a, a sort of necessary sacrifice in that way. But we're talking seven years, seven years, people's lives and they are doing other jobs and they, you know, have to change their look for things. And, and yeah. it's just no matter how hard one tries, it's very hard to remain exactly the same for seven years. Yeah, it's it's very hard. And so I guess Pam just cuts Eric's hair every morning. Yeah. I'm just remembering in his making yeah. flashback yeah. with Godric, I don't remember his hair. He, he has the longer hair. See, I don't think Pam cuts his hair every morning. I think when a vampire cuts their hair, it grows like normal human hair. I think their ah, beards okay. grow like normal human hair. I think it's just that we, I think True Blood just decided at a certain point that that was easier lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Than trying to say anything else. Fair enough. Yeah, and I think I think that works fine. You know, again, part of that speech that Bill gives is that this is all magic and mystery, and we can kind yeah. of accept and and move on, which is lovely. So, that. in terms of regeneration, vampires do have this super healing that they can do. So we'll start. I've got, you know, the the good, the bad, and the utterly embarrassing that we'll talk about today. <laughs> so we'll start with the good, yeah. which is Eric and the silver. So we see Eric yeah. heal from silver this episode. Yeah. And I'm thinking of many things I can't say yet because over the seven years, 
right? We saw silver and audience, you can kind of help us track this because you will see silver. Yes. Change where in the beginning, it's like a little bracelet and we're incapacitated. Yes. Versus now Eric's got quite a hefty silver chain on him. I have one thing I need to say about this because clearly Eric doesn't watch the show (laughs) because he lets them silver him and then tries to negotiate. I know it's about, you know, I guess we're, we're meant to, we're meant to believe that, you know, he's sort of sacrificing himself so that they will hopefully let Sookie go or whatever, you know, he, he has, wouldn't, shouldn't he say, look, I will let you silver me if you let Sookie go. Then they let Sookie, but I guess we needed Sookie to stay in the room. We need Sookie to be there. So, so he says, silver me. Yeah. And then he tries to bargain and then they go, no. And I'm like, does he not watch the show? He has no bargaining chip. I did have a thought about the silver and I did wonder, Mm -hmm. you know, we do have this thing about age that, the older right. a vampire is, the stronger they are, the more powerful they are. So there is a world in which little baby mm-hmm. Bill, who's only like 200 years old or so, not even really 150 years old, that little baby mm-hmm. Bill could maybe be kept down by a tiny little piece of silver, a little strand. Whereas Eric, yes. at a thousand years, might need a heftier chain to kind of really yes. take him down. So, yes, yes. So there I can is go with that. that. Yeah, there is that. Mm-hmm. So next mm-hmm. I've got the bad, which is, uh, I'm going to say, Lorena and the Plasma TV. Yeah. Because she's knocked out. And I got to say, there's a part of me that went, I'm not so sure vampires could be knocked out. That is an interesting yeah. take. Uh-huh. And I, I, I suggest definitely we, noticed it. Yeah, I suggest we look out for that in future episodes because that does feel like, especially with an older vampire like Lorena, that's that's asking a little much, which is fine. You know, you have to do what you have to do. Well, I liked in the commentary, of course, everything sounds better in an English accent. <laughs> but how Stephen was saying, yeah. you know, they were wondering how to get Bill out of the room. Yeah, they have to get and him out. And so Alan was like, well, just hit her with a plasma. <laughs> and you know, so they but did. That's how you get someone out of a room away from a, a really old vampire. Yeah. Of course, you just hit him over. And then they used a bowling ball and dropped it on right, the TV right. to show that dent. But he's right, right? I mean, they set up this impossible situation yeah. Yeah. and they had to get him out of there. And I, I like that they use yeah. Barry the Bellboy as a distraction. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, a really helpful way to do That's it. That's a smart plant for the future yes. as well. Because she says, you, what are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it tastes it'll, different. it'll lead to Sookie and all of that stuff coming up. You know, but but yeah, that's definitely one where I, I, I marked it and went, I want to track vampire consciousness, unconsciousness as this series continues. And then finally, <laughs> we have the- Your hymen. Utterly embarrassing, which is- yeah, Jessica's hymen. You know, beyond the sort of clickbaity feel of it all, I actually think it's sort of interesting for Jessica as a metaphor. It is. And it, it is, is it is logical with what they've set up. They certainly didn't have to shine a storyline on it, but it does in a weird way work, I think. You know, because I think for her, having lived with no freedom in that household, and then suddenly mm. it's like vampire. Suddenly I get to have all this freedom and I get to have sex mm. and I get to, you know, be wild and free. And it's like the cage door sort of slamming down again and and holding yeah. you back and saying you can't ever grow up. You can't ever be a woman. Right. And even though we know that that's not true, mm-hmm. you know, for a young person in that moment, it would be very very difficult, I think, to sort of move past that right then. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a difficult one. Yeah. And, and I and I like, too, that, you know, we have this idea that immortality and eternal youth is this wonderful thing. And wouldn't you just love mm-hmm. to be 17 forever? And, you know, this isn't really <laughs> it isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And it does make me think of Anne Rice's character, mm. the, the young girl, right. the child. Right. right. You know, it. And Rael Tucker, I think, was the one they said came up with this in the mm-hmm. writer's room or mm-hmm. proposed it. And then Alan thought about it and went for it because, again, it adds inner conflict, outer conflict. I mean, it just adds a layer of difficulty. Yeah. What it, it asks us this question of, like, aging and how much of mm-hmm. that is internal, how much of that is external. You mm-hmm. know, at some point, she's going to have been a vampire for 20 years and she will have Mm -hmm. the mind of a 47 year old. Uh, You know, what does that do to someone? How do they process that? Um, That inner and that outer. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it's a really wonderful 
tool that they used. You know, I thought it was sweet in the commentary that Steve was talking about you. Everyone was talking about what a wonderful actress you are. And, and Stephen was saying that you got a direction at some point to play something more innocent. Like my life has been taken (laughs) away from me. And and suddenly Stephen felt paternal feelings about Deb, right? Right? (laughs) Like he really was like keyed into that kind of suddenly he said she felt like my daughter. Yeah. And and then he said Deb can do no wrong in my opinion. Aww. Well that's that's know. subjectivity, Aww. you know. <laughs> I know, but isn't but it beautiful? It is lovely. And you know, and I think that's always a fun thing to talk about and let people in on on at home. You know, while Steve and Bill are different people in my eyes. And, you know, there are essences of these relationships that you play that paint a little bit the way that you feel about, you know, the actor. And, and, you know, at the end of the series, I always used to say, you know, I'm sad. I know I will keep in touch with Steve. I know that we will continue Mm -hmm. to correspond and be friends, but I will never see Bill Compton again. Right. Like I will never get to interact with him. And so there's a weird parallel and separation that's happening. So I also felt a kind of role model looking up to Steve in a certain mm-hmm. way. You know, he never quite felt like my peer. He always felt like a mentor a little bit right, in that way. Right. Yeah. Well, so you know, can borrow from those feelings and yeah. then use them and then and then they grow. Yes. Right. Because we're stoking those flames yes. for seven years. Absolutely. And then right. So it is it is an interesting relationship. And when, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about proximity in acting and and using physicality, Mm. you know, your body doesn't know you're acting, which is a great actor's tool. Right. Um, Right. But, you know, when you spend all day doing a fight scene where you're yelling at each other Mm -hmm. and you're crying and you're upset and you're doing it dozens of times, you know, Mm -hmm. your brain knows. But at the end of the day, your body is exhausted like you've been Your body is exhausted and a little confused. And a little confused. And so as we enact these things, again, even though your mind has one foot in this is fiction and one foot in, you know, accepting it as reality in order to be an actor, your body's kind of more in that latter camp. Right. And so, yeah, you know, it does. they, They color each other. Yeah, that's really well put. I have thought, like when I've played out a rape scene or what Mm. have you, you know, difficult being beaten. Mm. I have thought it's really bizarre and interesting and that there is a line between being in control and not being in control and that they're creating it Mm. and being the effect. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I'm generating and creating and choosing this experience makes the perception on all levels of the experience completely different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, not not as damaging, yes, right? Yes. Not damaging. In fact, can be sort of cathartic living it out when you're the creator, mm-hmm. you know. But it is a fascinating world to step into on all your yes. different layers and parts of you. These crazy things like that fight scene between Tara and Eggs. Absolutely. One, you know, it goes into, you know, this is another one of those scenes that Jim and I rehearsed extensively and discussed extensively. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ones where we, we were like, if you can give it to us, we would like time on that set to figure out where to sit and, you know, what in the room yeah. is going to affect that and things like that. And some of that is, you know, that wasn't Jim and I getting together to, like, make out outside of school, right? It was the opposite. Right. It was us right. saying, what are your boundaries? What are you comfortable with? What am I comfortable with? Because if I'm in mm-hmm. the moment of the scene going, is it okay if I run my hands through his hair? Is it all right, right. if he touches Can't me around my ass? waist? Now I'm not in the moment, right? And I can't yeah. live fully in the story of falling in love with Hoyt Fortenberry. But if Jim and I walk through it in a very clinical, open, respectful way and say, here's where I'm comfortable and here's what I think might happen in this moment. Is it, is it okay? What Mm -hmm. do you think? This moment doesn't feel organic. What could we do differently? I'm struggling Mm -hmm. with this. And we get to kind of free ourselves up so that Mm -hmm. action to cut can be entirely this emotional, imaginative experience. And we can genuinely fall in love with each other in that moment and know exactly as you were saying that we are both safe, that we are both in control. 
And mm-hmm. I, that I think is so important. And it doesn't matter what your lines are. Your lines can be, you know, very permissive or, you know, whatever feels mm-hmm. right to you, or they can right. be less so. But it's just about having shared that conversation openly. And, and again, I think yes. to have had someone like Jim at the beginning there who wanted to do that work meant that this could be such a great story and we could both really feel safe telling it. So now we're going to introduce to you Michael McMillan, one of my favorite people in the world. He was such a dear friend during the making of this show. He and I spent time outside just as friends going to concerts and supporting each other's work. And we've both done his podcasts. He's just a really special person, an incredibly talented actor and one of the sweetest and funniest people I know. Ditto. Hey. Michael. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see you. <laughs> I like that you guys like pop out from behind a virtual couch, basically. Oh, Hi. It's so good to see you. So yes, good to thank see you th- so the both of you. Talk. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Come on. This is great. I'm so excited. <laughs> Your performance as Steve Newland and the story that Steve gets to tell really is a a highlight of every episode. I mean, I have to say, this has been one of the most fun characters to research. Yes. Like going through YouTube and just finding, like every scene makes me laugh. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. I mean, obviously, uh, I had so much fun doing the show. I mean, this is, this show doesn't come around again. You know what I mean? Like this was a really unique experience in my career. And to this day, I mean, I had a, I've I've always found something that I've loved on everything that I've done for the most part. But True Blood and playing Steve Newland, I mean, that this is really probably my favorite character so far, for wow. sure. Yeah. You know, there's so many to, to many of the roles here. There's just so many levels to these characters yeah. and so many places to approach. And I the thing that I loved about working on True Blood was it could it would bounce from the absurd to the deeply troubling and then deeply moving from moment to moment. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that everyone watched who watched the show connected to was this, the unpredictability of where things were going to go at any given moment. As far as I'm concerned, the Newlands are like the greatest (laughs) villains of this series. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they, they sort of are designed that way in the DNA of the show, because if you have, If the premise of the show is an allegory for people who are minorities, people who are in groups that are attacked, it's so shocking to me. We were were sitting down to do this and I was like, my God, things have not changed in the past 10 years. And in fact, they're getting Mm -hmm. worse. I mean, I feel like the Newlands are more relevant now, sadly, Mm -hmm. in 2022 than they were back in even 2012 or 2000. Mm -hmm. Frankly? the Newlands are more open-minded. I were I was watching some of your Praise His Light stuff, and there's a guy who comes on who ends up, he says, like, white power at the end, and mm-hmm. Steve Newland's remarkably uncomfortable with that. <laughs> right? He's well, talking about Mexicans at the border. Yeah, and, and Steve is not into and it. And Steve is even shocked and like, oh, dear. He goes, "What's what does he say after the camera stops rolling? He says something, because <laughs> like, it was like, holy breadbasket or something, you know, yeah. really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fat. I mean, that's the thing is like they are sort of designed to be because they are the they're really the voice. They're the personif- personification of hate mm, on yeah. on the show. And I think with those moments that you're describing, I think then and I think the thing that you're pointing out that's changed mm. is back then when we were doing the show, I think a character like Steve was like very hyper aware of branding and not saying the quiet thing out loud. Mm. Now, obviously, that's changed. Now you're absolutely right. you you are totally allowed to say the quiet thing out loud, and and mm-hmm. there's no ramifications. I love yeah. I love Steve. I think it's the scene where there's your father up on the wall, and you're having dinner with Ryan and Anna, and he says, "We're forming an elite spiritual army." Mm-hmm. Like those two words together are so amazing. Yeah, called the Soldiers of the Sun. And Jason, we need you. God needs you. But I find it so fascinating. And I've had this too in 
fan interactions where you talk to people who probably would want to go to become a soldier of the sun. Mm-hmm. And but they love your character, but they love the show. Did you yeah. right where you're like you realize that that's like not not an endorsement of that philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it's actually sort of sending it up. We're the bad guys and we're satirizing this. <laughs> we're actually Sadly, satirizing it's beyond this. that point now. Yeah. Now did you have any cuz when I said Republican, I got death threats. Wow. Did you have any yeah, quite a few actually. Yeah, I didn't I really didn't I expected there to be more of that kind of stuff and there really mm-hmm. there really wasn't and it, I'm just wondering if it's because it either went we either sold it so well that it just went right over people's you know I think there's I think a difference right when I think part of it is actually that like if you're playing a character who's like straight out calling someone a Republican then they're like mm-hmm. hey wait a minute that character hates me but if you're right. playing a character that's subversive and sort of satirical and never really come you know never right. says you should hate me because I'm an idiot or you shouldn't like me because I'm stupid or whatever you know the just, right just I'm 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 using base language here as an example yeah I think sometimes they just watch a vampire show and yeah. the the subtext goes right and that's fine that's a perfectly yeah. good way to watch a show a lot of people yeah. watch this stuff to escape you know and well, aren't- and I'd like to throw out there as well you know, the one thing I've always loved about our villains is even in their most mustachy, twirly moments, there's you just get such strong sense of a personal motivation with everyone. Yeah. This isn't just about world domination. It's not just about, you know, that's all there. But, you know, I to this day still f- don't really feel like I know who Steve Newland is. Maybe that's because <laughs> Steve Newland doesn't know, but it always felt like he was playing at something to the Uh specifically whoever he was talking to and his journey was maybe to find a bit of himself but there's something to that that because there was this sort of mysterious enigmatic soft core yeah it made him fascinating and i couldn't just hate him or just think he was stupid or you know i have two thoughts one i want to i want to I want to respond to that, but I also want to pick up on something you said about the villains and the villains yeah. not, you know, having layers. I also think the same goes for the good guys, right? Yeah, on True Blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing. I always kind of had a problem, even though I've just sat here and talked about how Steve represents the far right and all this stuff, which obviously he does. I always kind of had an issue, not issue. I kind of had a problem with the one-to-one allegory for vampires and minorities or vampires uh-huh. and the queer community. Because Steve was also right about a lot of shit mm-hmm. that vampires were doing. They weren't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. completely across. You had your bills, but you also yeah. had like Eric does some really horrible stuff. Pam right. does also some horrible- killed the most people in season yeah. two. Well, there you go. Yeah. So like <laughs> right. vampires do pose a threat in the way that mm-hmm. minority groups in this country don't. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So right, I yeah. I never thought it was a, a real one-to-one allegory. And I actually think, you know, sure. I, and I do think Alan was obviously aware of that. I remember when we shot the church yeah. scene, he was like talking to the group extras who were in the congregation. And Alan was like, okay, so this guy represents this, you know, he says vampires are bad. And, and Alan even said, this, he's like, and you know what? Some of them are, they really are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I remember yeah, yeah. hearing him say that and going, okay, but that always gives me something to hold on to is Steve because mm. it's, there is a danger there. There is some, there, they, right. vampires will kill humans. So mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not quite a one-to-one. And then I think that allows room in those moments where Steve to be like, well, now, you know, we're not going as far as saying that we're white nationalists here. You know what I mean? Right. I think that gave me wiggle room to where the hate, I don't, I think hate is too far. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That there's some common, you know, some common sense rules that we can approach with like interacting with vampires maybe here. But, mm-hmm. but there, but he was, he wasn't a hundred percent right, but he, <laughs> I hate saying this, mm-hmm. but he makes some good points. <laughs> totally. Right. Well, I hate the, saying but that. the point being right. that like that Nan Flanagan was just as much of a hypocrite 
yes. as Steve Newland is. Right. Oh, you know? yeah. Right. That, yeah. That it's That's more the... about our forward face versus our reality. Exactly. And I right, think right. in the script for episode one, when they describe, Nan, when Alan describes Nan Flanagan's system, more she looks like Ann Coulter, the better. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. so both mm-hmm. sides are sending up extremists on, on yes. you know, on both sides mm-hmm. as well. So I, I just wanted to, I wanted to make that, Point because you know I I don't think it's a one to one allegory completely. No no no. So I'm also curious how did you get the it part? Was, this is actually kind of a fun story. Um, Everyone has one. Everyone yeah. has a great story about getting into this show. <laughs> the, I love it. It was by pure chance I even got to audition for this part. Oh my god. There's a there's a world where like I I was not going to be sent in to audition for Steve Newland when I very first moved out here. I remember telling everybody, agents, casting directors, whoever, I was like, I want to be on an HBO show produced by Alan Paul. I want to be on Six Feet Under. Like, I was like, that's what I want to do. I used to watch Six Feet Under and I was like, this, I could do, this is like my sense of humor, my style of character acting. I totally get this, the dialogue, Mm -hmm. the right. I was like, I need, you know, you see those shows that really inspire you as a young actor. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And lo and behold, Two months into moving out here, I was up for a very big role, the role that Ben Foster eventually played on Six Feet Under. Wow. Oh, yeah. And it came down to me and Ben Foster, and then ultimately I didn't get it. But word came through the pipeline that, like, Alan really liked my audition and really respect, you know, they were they were like, good job, you know? Right, right. And I was like, okay, great. I had heard that he was doing, years later, five years go by, and I heard that he was doing this new show about vampires. And I remember saying, I believe to my agents and managers, you know, if anything comes up for this True Blood show, like I got, I got to go out for it. And I was working on this movie, had a very small role in an Eddie Murphy movie called Imagine That. I was, I was on the Paramount lot and I had a lot of downtime in my trailer. And at the time, my personal trainer, <laughs> this is such an LA story. <laughs> my personal, my personal trainer had access to breakdown services. <laughs> So oh he could see gosh. all of the roles that were going out day to day. Right. Oh and so he gosh. would forward them over to me just so I could be like, is there anything that they're not sending me out on? Right. And on this one day, on this one break, I happened to check my email and I saw the breakdown for Steve Newland. And it was from the day before. And oh I read for God. I read the little line. It was like Christian, Christian minister, anti-vampire, 40s, 40s. He was supposed to be in his 40s. Whoa. Oh. And which I am now at the time I was in my late twenties, mid to late twenties. And, and, and they were like very small, very small co-star in season one. Oh my God. Big, big recurring in season two. Season two. Yeah. And I immediately called my manager. I was like, you have to put me up for this role. This is it. This is the thing I've been waiting for. Oh my gosh. I get chills telling the story. It's so cheesy, but she was like, are you what? And I was like, (laughs) I was like, put me in. They know me. Alan Ball will remember me. I know he's going to remember me. Just get me in. Get me in. So they call me back and they're like, Junie and Libby say you're not right for this. No. (sighs) You're too young. You're not right. I was like, I was like, just get me in. I will put myself on tape, whatever it takes. Get me in that room. And she's like, okay. My manager at the time was like, all right, let me call him back. So. She calls me back and she's like, all right, you have an appointment on, I think it was like, you know, Friday or whatever. You'll be reading for Alan. They just want you to know they don't think you're right for this. And I was like, great, just get me in. So I go to the casting office and I walk in and there's like, there's only like five other guys in there. They're all older than me. There's some people that I recognize, nobody like big name. But I was like, okay, yeah, these 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 dudes are all like forty and above easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the audition scene it was actually like not really written yet. I think they'd written this mm-hmm. for the audition, and mm-hmm. you know, Me too. I was such a big nerd. I ran. I, I figured out what books Steve Newland was in, so I read like crammed <laughs> the second book, and I I found the scene. I was like, oh, they kind of lifted the scene right out of the book and put it in the oh, script. So I was like, okay, I know exactly where this is happening in the story. It's when Sookie comes to investigate the fellowship of the sun church. And she yes. sits down and has this interview with Steve. And, the, yep. and, yes. and so I come in and I do the, Alan stands up, smiles, says, hi, how have you been? Immediately, I was like, I knew he would remember me. Yes. 
And I was like, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to read for this. I love this character. And he's like, all right, well, let's just get into it. So I sat down. I read it. I did it once. Alan goes, I love all that intensity. I love everything you're bringing to it. Just do it one more time and smile through the whole thing. Don't drop your smile. And I was like, and I remember telling him, I was like, I love that. I love that. I love it. I was like, done. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I did it one more time. And he was like, great. Thanks. And I walked out. And I remember like walking across the street to Target, the Target at West Hollywood Gateway. And I remember walking around sort of in a daze. And I was like, think I crushed this. I think this is, oh. I think I've got this. <laughs> I got into my car and like the moment I got in the car, I got a call from my agents. They were like, you got it. You got oh it. Oh my God. I'm, I could cry. Uh, yeah. They were like, so you'll be in season one and then they want to make you a series regular in season two. And I was oh just my like, God. I, I like, it was one of the few times that I've sat and kind of like cried yeah. tears of joy. Oh. Cause I was just like, it was such a payoff after you know, the yeah. mirror, near miss was six feet under and then like working yeah. out here for five years. And then just, just, just the fact that that there was, I so easily would never have gone out for that part had I not seen those breakdowns. Right. You That's know, so, so just, crazy. it all really, it really did feel very, it's, the, it's really the one role that I was like, this one felt like it was meant to be, right. you know? Wow. And, and that you had the confidence and persistence right. persistence yeah. to, to even go against the casting directors your your agents and managers who yes. were sort of saying yeah maybe the next one and but you knew yeah yeah and alex Wu told me later he was like we all we all thought you were not the pick but alan was <laughs> the one who's like he's the guy i'm telling you he's the oh. guy well yeah. I, it makes me think too then you know what because that was the other thing I think with True Blood that really amazed me is sort of how flexible they were, how it felt like things shifted depending on what we as actors brought to the role. Yeah. Um, so I even look at that, even just from your audition, if they were imagining someone in their 40s, how many just little shifts they made to mm-hmm. just make it suit you so that you could do the best job you could. And mm-hmm. then everything that you brought that then said, hey, maybe he's not just a season two mm-hmm. series regular. Maybe he <laughs> comes back again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think I think the writers were really, and I think this just speaks to like Alan's background, a lot of the writers' background of being in being playwrights yeah. and coming mm-hmm. from Absolutely. theater. Yes. And and watching and observing actors and doing original pieces with actors and then sort of tailoring scripts or doing little rewrites to help with those first performances of shows. One thing Alan also told me early on in season one when we shot the f- final season or final episode of season one where Jason's at the church and I'm doing the the sermon, you know, Alan was like, you did not get along with your dad. You did not have a good relationship with your mm-hmm. father. And I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. That was like Perfect. the one sort of backstory bit that never, mm-hmm. never came out, you know, it was never written out there, but Alan was just like, he did not have a good relationship with his dad. And so that gave me something to also build from that. This was Steve was like this guy who never, never felt like he was going to fill his father's shoes. Right. Yeah. And then, Perfect. and then I think saw himself at some point, trying to sort of in a succession, you know, like, like over on succession, he, at some point I think he was bracing himself. Like I'm going to have to overthrow this guy, or I'm going to have to break from this and take as many from his flock as I can to go start my own thing. Yeah. Right. And I think he was very unsure that he would have the ability to do that. And then the vampires handed him a gift and right. he was like, this is great. They just gave me everything I wanted and every excuse to go out and persecute a group of people, you know, to right. gain and a purpose. To, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and yeah. Sarah's the perfect partner in that, you know, oh. I mean, she behind perfect. the scenes can give every, you know, advantage that, that Steve needed. I know she's the perfect wife. This is the other thing is Anna Camp and I just clicked immediately, immediately. Uh. And, you know, I never read with Anna. So it was just sort of a gamble that we'd have any kind of chemistry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those crazy things in this business. You never know who you're going to get paired up with. And then sometimes it just works. And I think for the two of you, that is so clear. I mean, you guys are fire together in these scenes. 
Steve, I want to ask you about because um, oh, you want to ask Steve? I mean, <laughs> you want to ask Steve, Reverend Newman? You want to ask Steve? Can I ask you about yeah, um, what's going God you, and the universe? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the, the, what what is the key Bible, to life? Steve. Yeah, um, no, Michael, um, <laughs> I'm so absorbed. So <laughs> you went to Interlochen Arts Academy, mm-hmm. which I think is the most brilliant thing in ever. But I'm just wondering about that you could speak about what you love about being in theater and with your people and, and, you know, true blood and just that creative atmosphere. It feels like the true blood set is sort of like the, the paid version (laughs) of what you experienced, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Just the most eclectic group of weirdos. That's the thing that like Anna and I used to talk about this and we would include ourselves. Sometimes we'd be hanging out. I'd be like, this cast, man, these actors are weird. Like everyone is kind of weird. Like everyone had their own, everyone kind of had their own little mystery about them. You know what I mean? Everyone was so talented, so game, but then you'd also be like, I wonder what's going on in Skarsgård's head. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, like, it's so like Ryan also always. Yes. Ryan was such just like funny, brilliant guy that he, what a what a walking contradiction. You know, yeah. I think yeah. he was so first of all, you, I would be like, is this guy 23 or is he 49? I don't know. Like, I don't know how yeah. old he is. Yeah. He could have someone could have told me that he's a thousand years old and he came here from another planet. And I would be like, I believe it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that explains it. He he had such a quirky, weird sense of humor that yeah. didn't always sometimes would make it there on on camera but off camera he was just one of the funniest people to talk to i was like who are you you look like you just walked off the australian shores and you should be like playing some superhero on a cw show for the rest of your career but you're one of the funniest most specifically minded comedic talented actors that i've so sensitive Mm -hmm. but just you know I love him, man. I love that guy. I love yeah. that guy. I, he's yeah. one of the best people I've ever worked with. Yeah. Well, this is going back a little bit, but I want to ask you about Steve Newland's look. Oh, I mean, yeah. The hair is spectacular. You've talked about some of the inspiration. I mean, you start with these like, the you know, the suits that make a lot of sense. But then later on, you get into kind of the 90s dad sweater yes. world. So, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about how did that get set and how did it evolve? It was two parts. It was Alan and then it was Audrey Fisher, for co- yeah. our, our beautiful costume designer. It's funny, if you go back and watch season one, I don't have the Steve Newland hair yet. It's right. basically <laughs> like Mike, Michael McMillan hair that they just sort of combed. Right, yeah. And, and I remember when I came in for the first episode of season two, Alan walked in to the trailer and was like, I want the evangelical... Higher, you know, you know, the higher, higher the, the hair, hair the closer, closer to God. To God. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I want, I want, you know, Jim Baker. I want that yeah. kind of like evangelical Texas look. Yeah. And again, I was like, oh yes, yeah, of course, yes. So I remember, you know, we did it, and Alan was kind. Of, I think literally came back in, checked it, when that's it, you know. So then the costume stuff, Audrey Fisher just nay. I mean, she just knows her stuff, and Audrey yeah. like. We walked in. Those costume fittings were so fun. But like, you know, we were like from the get go, we were like pleated pants only. Like this guy has not gotten the flat front memo. He needs pleats. He needs these like big kind of 90s suits. He needs this big evangelical look. You know, I've always got the American flag pin. Always got the Fellowship of the Sun pin. Paisley, big Paisley ties, you know, rich colors. Yeah. Just stuff that, that was really sort of that show that Texas wealth. And then I think the one of the things that we talked about where I was like, I can't remember if it was her idea or mine. She might have had choices, but one of the early things was like belt buckle. I wanted a big belt buckle yep. because I wanted something that felt Texas about the character. Right. So she would show me, you know, we'd get me all dressed up in this very like minister style suit. And then we would put a big big ass Texas belt buckle with two <laughs> cross revolvers. And I think, you know, I was like, well, this was obviously his dad's or his grandfather's. And now right, he, right. he wears this. And then I remember mm. an episode eight of season two, when it was time for the lock in, 
I had already yes. done my fitting and I had these like the patent, they weren't patent leather shoes, but they were like, there were these white loafer shoes or maybe they might've had laces on them and they looked great. And I remember I came home and it was either that night or the next night, but before a few days before we shot, I had a dream that we were shooting that scene and I looked down and I was wearing white cowboy boots oh. and I, I woke up and I, either texted or called or emailed Audrey. And I was like, I had a dream last night that I was wearing white cowboy boots for that scene. Can we, <gasps> is it too late? Can I get white cowboy boots? And she's like, I love it. So she found these uh, white uh, ostrich hide cowboy boots. And oh that's what he's wearing in the locker. Cause I was like, this is his big moment. He's from Texas. He's got to have his, there's like, this is his, you know, opening night, man. Yeah. yeah this is right. opening night. He's coming out BDE swinging, you yeah. know what I mean? And he's got to have his belt buckle. And I think I had a skull and crossbones belt buckle on that oh. one. And oh I had these big ass white, these awesome white ostrich cowboy boots. Oh my this is What I fucking love about Audrey yes. and the show is yes. especially because yeah men's costume can get kind of just put them in a tight shirt or a flannel and some jeans. Yep. Like mm -hmm. it can get kind of pushed aside yeah, in easily. favor of, you know, sexying up the women. But True Blood was so specific about mm -hmm. the male costuming, especially when it came to mm -hmm. your character, to Lafayette. Oh, yeah. To, you know, I, I mean, it was to Jason. I mean, Jason, you could say those were just T-shirts and tight mm. jeans. But yeah, but they not. weren't. They were no. You know? They were very specific. It was Shreveport football. It was yep. the Panthers. It and was, he probably you know, tried these on were, 15 pair of blue yes. jeans, right? And, and To find exactly yeah. the one that had the bell that was the yes. right size to kind of, you know. So I've always appreciated that. That And, and to get the, like, again, the testimony from you. <laughs> yes, there you That go. really... That much thought went into your belt oh buckle, yeah your shoes and it wouldn't be like your one belt buckle at the fitting no. right that's the other thing about no. Audrey it wasn't like here we got this we're busy it was like yeah. look at these five belt buckles yeah. I've I believe I have credited her in the past and if I uh, if I haven't I'll or if I have I'll do it again like Audrey was integral to creating that character, you know, yeah. getting very nerdy theater here, like in the classical French sense, like Audrey was really good at dressing the characters as their clowns. You know, the things mm -hmm. that like mm -hmm. the, 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 the mm -hmm. costumes that really inform who they are and right. empower them. The um, pantalone, you, not just. The, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you take away those costume elements for those characters you take that scarf off of Lafayette's head. You take like that leather jacket off Pam. You take the mm -hmm. sweater off Steve Newland. It immediately changes who they are, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. feel complete. Yes. And really, I mean, that's the beauty of our costume designer, Audrey Fisher, who we praise all of the time. But it is also in the actor's hands, right? You have to see that sweater and know Steve Newland so well and then somehow bring those two elements together. Uh, so I think some of that credit goes to you, too. Oh, <laughs> Michael, I just want to talk to you all day. So before we wrap up, I have one more question. When you think of your experience on True Blood, are there three words that come to mind? It was world building for me as a person. Absolutely. Mm. Not just yeah. like my world grew doing that mm. show. Wow. Yeah. Just the people I met the ideas that went in my head mm -hmm. thinking about the show, the way mm -hmm. I looked at myself, the friends mm -hmm. I made. Yeah. It was also terrifying at times, you yeah. know, I didn't want to let like Alan Ball or HBO down. You know what I mean? No, yeah. me too. And just, I think love. I mean, I love, you know, I don't, it's so stupid, but like, no, it was, it was the most, Lovely experience I've ever had. Lucky, I guess lucky, love, lucky in love yeah. on that show. You know, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. I'm sitting here as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just seeing the flat. Well, really what it is, I'm seeing the flashes of all the people that I worked with yes. go yeah. before my face and like how lucky I was that I got to like, it's, there were points when in such a big cast, 
I was like, well, I'm never going to work with Sam or I'm never going to work with Kristen. And then it would always find a way, mm-hmm. you know, I was one of those that really oh, yeah. got lucky yeah. that I, I worked with almost everybody closely on the show. I just see all those faces go by that, that we worked with and all, all mm-hmm. the good times and how much I just loved, loved being there. Well, I got to say, I mean, Steve Newland is some of the bravest work <laughs> so brave. in so many ways, some of the most creative. Again, for a guy who you think is one note, you touch such a spectrum yeah. of motivation, intention, yeah. need. It's so incredible. Thank you for talking to us. Oh, yeah, anytime. About thank, you, thank you. Thank you. We, if you will come back, there's so much on the horizon for Steve yeah. Newland and we want there to go. Is. I'd love to. Look, you know, at, Everybody who's worked with me on this show knows I love this show so much. I love this world. Mm -hmm. I love all the characters. I love all the creators and actors. So like anytime, man, I'd love to come back and talk about it. It's like I said, it's one of the happiest. Honestly, one of the happiest times of my life was 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 making the show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Oh, Deb. I, oh, I mean, my we love Lord. all of our uh, True Blood fellows, but there, I, I have a particular soft spot for Michael McMillan. How can you oh. not? How can you not? He is just the funniest, most and just brilliant, kind and easy to get along kind. with. And I, yeah, I, I just adore him. And it's, it's no surprise that he is an excellent podcast guest because he has. Two of his own podcasts, which are spe- yep, we and you both and I done both the Bigfoot did. Collectors Club. Yep, yes. With so Bryce Johnson, go listen to those. It's so much fun, especially if you're into oh like gosh. that slightly super so preternatural kind of stuff. And then you did yes. his new one, Kristen, right? I did Slate Your Name in season one, yeah, and so did yeah. Anna Camp. And then they're recording again, and they'll mm-hmm. be back up in the fall. But you can listen to season one. So Bigfoot Collectors Club and Slate mm-hmm. Your Name. The Michael McMillan. I mean, Michael McMillan. I mean, it's just more Michael <laughs> McMillan, which we none of us can get enough <sighs> Michael McMillan. And this is just, this is already one of my favorite interviews. I just think he's the greatest. Me too. Thanks to him for coming on and talking with us. Yes, yes, yes. We adore him. Next week on Truest Blood, the power is shifting among the vampires and we'll shift the spotlight to the amazing folks who make Bon Tom feel all lived in. Then we'll <laughs> deep dive into what it takes to be a background actor. And the faultless Alan Hyde joins us to talk about his gripping work as Godric. It may be a short-lived role, but it will live on in our hearts. He is such a strong force in Denmark, both in front of and behind the camera. He is a true force of creativity and just wise beyond his years. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Yeah. So thanks for listening, Truby. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Y'all come back now, you hear. Got any burning questions you want answered on Truest Blood? Post them on any and all social media platforms using hashtag FangClubQuestions, and we may feature them on the show. That's hashtag F-A-N-G-C-L-U-B-Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Kavankar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Garon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.